morning. Y'all can have a seat, and our third through fifth grade is dismissed. I want to ask you to take out your Bibles uh, while you're taking a seat and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 in a minute, I'm going to read verses 10 through 13 of Philippians chapter 4 and jump in. But I did want to mention a couple things this morning before we uh, jump into God's Word. Uh, first of all, um, this is uh, July 1st. Uh, begins my 13th year at Pillar, and uh, I just want to say how grateful I, I, I've been to be the pastor of this church for uh, the last 12 years, and it's an honor and privilege. I'm excited about the future that God uh, has for us. Spent the week with uh, church planters from 14 different Pillar churches uh, in San Antonio this week, and the mission God's given us. I'm excited about the future, ministering in military communities, ministering in the community of Dumfries and the surrounding area. It's really exciting. Uh, another exciting thing about today is that it's also the first week of Jake Rogers serving as our executive pastor. So uh, show your excitement for... Uh, that um, I want to encourage you. This is a big transition as uh, as he's getting out of the Marine Corps, and he and Joy and Tally are making this transition in their lives. Um, I ask you to pray this week, just that God would affirm them, encourage them as they step into this role. Uh, and so it's just exciting to be able to be here uh, during this time and see how God's going to use them uh, in the life of our church. And uh, now we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 4, uh, beginning reading in verse 10. Verse 10. Here's what it says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And before we dive into it, we just pause our hearts, Lord, to ask that your spirit would give us insight into this text. Lord, we ask that not only would you uh, allow our minds to be sharp to understand, uh, but also, Lord, that you would have our hearts open to receive the insight that you have for us today as we think about these words, in Jesus' name, amen. We're in the middle of this series called Greatest Hits, and uh, we're looking at the, most, the 10 most famous passages in the Bible, and we are asking what they really mean, and what they're about, and uh, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me is certainly uh, a greatest hits. I, 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 was, I was thinking about two greatest hits this week. Um, you know, I was hanging out with Aiden Grafe, and uh, I was, he was wondering why I didn't reference any hit songs in my sermon last week. You know, you, you, he said, you know, you went to all this trouble to do this greatest hit series, and, you know, you didn't even reference a greatest hit last week. Uh, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, that was right. I just thought it would be a little too much, you know, too cute uh, to do that. And, uh, I, you know, I referenced last week that one time I started talking about the music I listened to, and I got myself into a little trouble. Um, and, you know, since we were looking at John 3.16 last week, he suggested that I should have referenced Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, and, uh, which simply shows he's more clever than I am. 
Uh, and and uh, he's right. Uh, but one of the things about greatest hits, you know, these really like iconic songs, is they don't have to really to be, be understood to be famous. Like, in fact, did you ever notice how little time you take to really understand what a song's about? I know we're just there for the music, right? My kids tell me all the time, like, do you listen to what that's saying, you know? They're like, I'm not paying attention. I just like how it feels, you know? And music is kind of about that. It, get, it, it has this way of kind of getting past our mind, like into our souls a little bit. And, and we just kind of like how it sounds. For example, during COVID, we were all supposed to be inspired when a bunch of celebrities used a video to record a montage of the Beatles song, Imagine. Anybody remember that? You know, it was like all of these celebrities singing Imagine from their, you know, penthouse suites, you know, and, uh, you know, suffering with us. And uh, we were all supposed to be like, oh, this is so inspiring. You know, and Imagine is one of those songs that has captured people's imaginations, you know, for a few decades and lures people into enjoying it. But when you look at it a little closer, it's considerably less inspiring. I mean, really. It's an atheistic and dark sort of thing to imagine what John Lennon was imagining. Especially if you're a Christian, the, sum, the assumption in the song is that believing in God, heaven, and the transcendent reality of his lordship over all things is what makes the world a bad place. And if we just kind of did away with all of that, if we could just get people living for today, and living like today is all we got, well, that would be better. Because as you know, you know, we all want the same things, you know, and find it easy to love one another. And, and you know, it's kind of ironic. It's popular mainly because it's misunderstood on the surface. Another song like that is, uh, you know, I, I thought of because this week is, uh, of course, uh, the 4th of July and we celebrate Independence Day. But, I mean, there's few songs as iconic from the 80s as Born in the USA. Any Bruce Springsteen fans out there? I know I'm baiting the hook a little bit. I'm going to come back at you. You're like, I'm not raising my hand to admit I even know what this song is about. You know, the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen, the hit maker, uh, and his greatest hits. Uh, no, this is probably the greatest of, it, of all of his hits. Uh, it'll probably get listened to this week as something of a rock anthem on Independence Day by many people. And it is catchy, except for the fact that it's a pretty dark look on the experience of a Vietnam veteran. Which, I've, if I'm honest, I did not know until this week. Because I've always just sang along with the chorus and never really paid attention. Like, nah, 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 you know, like I can't really, I, was, I didn't know what he was saying in the verses. And I looked up the verses and I was like, wow, that's kind of dark, you know. I'm not sure why people would want to sing that on Independence Day. Um, and so, that's how we ended up with the passage that we're looking at today. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's probably one of the most misunderstood. I think it's famous mainly because it's misunderstood. Each week we're like, like what, why is this verse so popular? I think if we're being honest, this verse is popular because of a very basic misunderstanding of what the verse actually means. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've seen it tattooed on people's arms. I've seen it on coffee mugs, you know, posted on their Instagram story. You know, you can find all sorts of places where this is like one of those verses that people love to go to. And uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Ripped from its context and placed on that mug or a t-shirt or Instagram post or anywhere else where you find it alone, it seems to be a way to like sort of cheer ourselves on to victory in something that we want to be successful in. 
It most often gets used as a spiritual sort of self-talk to pump us up with optimism when we really want to be victorious. That is no more apparent than in the world of sports. As someone who played a lot of sports growing up, if you were around Christians who loved sports, this verse was ubiquitous. We can win the game, beat the other team through Christ who strengthens us. No doubt, God is our creator, and as the creator and sustainer of all of life, he's the one who has given strength to everything that exists. But using it to say what people often do begs a lot of weird spiritual questions, if you think about it, especially in the world of sports. Because using it this way, it seems to apply a special giving or portion of strengthening for the moment so that somebody could win. God may do that, but I don't see really anywhere in Scripture where we're taught to think that he does. It's not that he's not concerned with every detail of our lives, but our ability to discern whether God gave strength to the victor or will give strength to the loser uh, is not really something that is very apparent on the surface if you understand what the Bible teaches. Thankfully, though, this has nothing to do with what the verse really is all about. So sorry to ruin it for you if you have it on your coffee mug and you looked at it this morning. What I'm hoping to do through this series is take some of these famous passages, reorient ourselves to what they really mean so every time you see them, whether they're used right or not, you have a new sense of understanding and wisdom about why they're so important. Well, quite bluntly, what is, this, what is the context of this verse? Quite bluntly, Paul isn't writing about winning your next game. Paul is writing one of his prison epistles. These are the words of a man sitting in prison for his faith. He's essentially on house arrest, waiting to hear whether he will go free at some point or if he will suffer and die because of his faith. His biggest supporters in the experience have been the church at Philippi, where they're also experiencing levels of social, political, and personal persecution that seem to be increasing and are the reason that Paul's writing them a letter to remain faithful. He's sitting in prison and saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so you get ready to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But the context is a difficulty, a a circumstance of suffering and persecution for Paul and those who received the letter. Yet, while they, the people at Philippi, are under that pressure in the church, they're sending Paul money for food and support. That's what we read about there in 10 and 11. They, you know, they've again gathered up money and they've sent it with a messenger so that Paul could be well taken care of because if you were on house arrest, you had to pay to get your own food or you had to have other benefactors who took care of you in that situation. And so they've cared for him. They've sent them people to minister to him. They sent him food and money. He may at some point go free and continue to serve the church that he started across Asia Minor and extend the mission into Spain where he said he really wants to go. Or he will depart this world and be with Christ, he says in chapter 1. And this is the context in which these words find their meaning when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They find their meaning in suffering and trial. They find their meaning and purpose as a statement from Paul of consecration and confidence in God in the face of a difficult season of obedience to his will. So what we're going to do is we're going to look closer at the immediate context now of this verse and see what the passage really is about that this, this 
greatest hit is found in. So what's the point of this passage? Well, the passage we just read helps us see that through God's strength, Paul has learned to face every circumstance that comes in life with a godly perspective. That Paul is confident he can face whatever is going to come in his life. He offers it as a sort of secret to those who are not yet sure and live in the fear of suffering or difficulty that may come through walking with Christ. If I were to sum it up, the main idea here this morning is that God gives the necessary strength to remain faithful in every circumstance. That we can have confidence that God gives the necessary strength to remain faithful in every circumstance that we face. That's the main thing that Paul is really concerned to say here. And he, and he does that, he, he shows us some insight in, in a few different ways as we look through the passage that I want us to dig into. Uh, I'm going to just highlight three of them, but, but they're gonna, all of them are in a way are going to help us see that Paul is rooted in a confidence that God gives the necessary strength to remain faithful. Paul wants his life to honor the Lord. He wants to honor Christ. He wants to continue to live a life of purpose, a, a life of obedience to God, a, live a life of dignity and, and respect before the Lord. And Paul is confident that God supplies for what is needed to remain faithful to him no matter what he's going to face, including death. And so we see that kind of in three ways I want to highlight. And the first one is this. If you notice closely in the passage, Paul is talking about a God-centered life, not a goal-centered life. If you look at the passage, Paul is talking about a God-centered life, not a goal centered life so before we can really understand what paul is saying in verse 13 we have to think about the difference between his overall perspective and the average person who may tattoo this verse on their arm we tend to believe we will be satisfied and settled if, if we reach some sort of milestones maybe you've bought into this idea you, you you feel like you'll be satisfied and settled if you reach some sort of milestones in life that you've created that you've longed to get to you know, whether we state them out loud, these milestones or these goals in our life, or we carry them inside of us without really communicating them, all of us live with a sense of expectations uh, for our future that are the key ways we're going to determine if life is going well. Whether you're a goal setter or they're just kind of living down inside you unexpressed, we all have things that we're using to grade how things are going in life. And those goals and those purposes and those pursuits become the scorecard in our life in the way that we measure things. And, and in a sense, that really leads to a goal-centered life that we hope God will help us accomplish. But Paul has an entirely different way of thinking about life. Paul th sees things in an entirely different light in the book of Philippi, or in the book of Philippians. He sees his life as having significance in relation to Christ and not his own goals. A Christ-centered life. Well, how do we know that? Well, it's interesting. He begins this letter. The Philippians is just a letter, a four-section uh, letter that Paul writes to a group of Christians in the city of Philippi. And he begins that letter by introducing himself, reminding them, telling them who the letter's from. And he begins that letter by saying it's from Paul and Timothy. First thing he's going to say, servants of Christ. That servant means bond servant, a servant that is bound to serve his master, 
Christ. And, and so Paul actually sees the whole of his life as fulfilling one purpose. If he was going to tell you something about himself, it's that he exists to serve Christ. I would call that a Christ-centered perspective rather than Paul having a goal-centered perspective, a God-centered perspective rather than a goal-centered perspective. In chapter 2, he says that he only wants for Christ to be honored in his bodily life, that he has one pursuit, one desire uh, in, in the first couple chapters. And, and so he wants, he wants God to be honored in the life he lives in the body, whether by living, continuing to live and serve the people he cares for, or by dying. Either way, he's got one desire. His life is for the purpose of honoring Christ, whether he lives or he dies. That sounds pretty God-centered to me. He's a servant of Christ. He simply wants Christ to be honored in his life. He is concerned also, he says at the end of chapter 2, that in the day of Christ, he he will have reason to be proud and not ashamed. By the day of Christ, he means the day when he stands before Christ and his life is examined. That he will, have, he will have reason to be proud of what he's offered as an act of worship through his life to the Lord. Primarily, Paul sees his life as an act of worship to God, not his own to just purpose and plan. You see, Paul says life is ultimately about centering ourselves around God, not around our goals. It's not that there's something particularly wrong with having some goals. It's just how much weight they have in our lives. For Paul, he would make goals, but in the end, he desired in every circumstance to honor Christ. He would be happy to scrap the goal if he sensed that he needed to serve the Lord in some different way in the moment. So there's nothing particularly wrong with goals, but his life was centered around Christ. He says that in chapter 3, what he had previously considered gain as far as worldly accomplishments and accolades, he now counts as nothing compared to one thing, to knowing Christ. So now it's not just that he honors Christ, but that in the honoring, in the experience, that he's getting a deeper and deeper knowledge of Christ himself. What is he like? What does he care about? How can I live like him? See, see, Paul is a disciple of Jesus. He's not just someone who is sort of a fan of Christ, but he is a follower of Christ. His life at the center, he wants to walk with Jesus. He wants to know what does it take to be like him, to share in his suffering, to to share in the joy of his resurrection. For him, it's all about knowing that in every circumstance he faces gives him an opportunity to do that. He says at the end of that chapter 3 that many will live as enemies of Christ because their God is their belly and they're driven by mindset on earthly things. He just gives it a picture. A mindset on earthly things as the primary pursuit and one that's set on, set on Christ. He says, he says the, the mind that's set on earthly things is driven by internal desires, drives, longings, goals, all of those things that, that have an ascendancy. They're more important than knowing Christ. And I think Paul is really wanting us to see that we'll never be ready to experience the strength of God in every circumstance we face until we realize that all of those desires are less important than knowing him. Less important than honoring him and walking with him. It's experiencing life in the path of Jesus. So what does all this mean for us? It means that you won't appreciate the meaning of having strength to face 
all the things that Paul says we can face until you share Paul's understanding that knowing Christ through every circumstance is of far exceeding value above reaching your individual goals. Until that becomes your chief goal, knowing Christ through every circumstance, the rest of your goals will cause chaos rather than order. So, so what can you do with that? Well, my, my recommendation would be that you identify, first of all, that you identify the real longings and goals in your life that are most prominent. That you would take a good look at your life and say, what are the things that I most desire in life? That are driving the decisions that I make? And what do they have to do with knowing and honoring Christ? Am I ready for those to be set aside when it's clear God has set me in a set of circumstances where they can't be attained and I have to just walk with Christ. But I think it's important that you don't leave those things unnamed. Because you can, they're driving your life in some way. They're determining how you are experiencing inwardly your life. I'll never forget hearing John Piper years ago describe the idea of a God-centered life using the solar system. There's a, there, he, you know, he described that there's sort of a self-centered life where we want life to revolve around all of our desires in a God-centered view of life where we realize life revolves around Christ and his desires. Piper says you have to get the right thing in the center, like the solar system, or it would be chaos. The sun, of course, is the weightiest thing in our solar system, and, and its magnitude and importance brings order to everything else as it draws into balance and orbit all of the planets and everything that exists in our solar system. If we were to somehow, if you can imagine that, that uh, the earth is connected to the sun by this, uh, this sense of invisible power like a string, if, if somehow we were to cut the string between the earth and the sun, that it would just cause chaos. We would drift into nothingness. And in many ways, this is what happens when we cut ourselves off from God's perspective, from, from centering ourselves around His purposes and plans. We cut ourselves off and we drift into sense of purposelessness and chaos in our lives. If we try to make everything revolve around us, we could imagine trying to make things revolve around the earth. It does not have the weight and size to keep things in order. Many of the things we desire in the grand scheme of things simply aren't important enough to bring everything else into order. And that if we'll set ourselves in our life around the big thing, around God himself, our creator, his purposes for us, that many of the things we're most concerned with will be drawn into their proper orbit and balance balance so in this passage paul is inviting us to take on a whole new perspective about life one that is god-centered rather than goal-centered and doesn't just see that we are to decide what our goals are and ask god to lend his power for that but to entrust ourselves to god and his purposes and trust that his power is sufficient for us to be faithful in all of those things that's the first thing we see the second thing that we see is Paul is talking about facing circumstances, not self-fulfillment. So when it comes to what he's talking about facing, what we're able to do, he's talking about facing circumstances, not gaining self-fulfillment. In the text, I think it's pretty clear. I think it's important to look closely at what Paul is saying here in Philippians 3. When he says all things, what does he mean? I think it's important to slow down. Does he mean I can accomplish all the things that I desire? 
Or does he mean something else? Does he have something else in mind when he says all things? What does the all mean here? Pretty simple question, actually, when you start to look at the text. It seems like the text tells us really clearly. In verse 11, if you look, it says he's talking about whatever situation we may face. Look closely at verse 11. Chapter 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation. So what is the all he's talking about? He's talking about whatever situation we may face. In verse 12, he's clearly speaking in any and every circumstance. So, so he's not just talking about our desires and our goals, the things we're trying to accomplish. He's talking about any and every circumstance, all the situations that we encounter, most of which are beyond our control. I mean, in many ways, life is about responding to the many things that are beyond our control rather than just the goals and purposes that we set out. Those things loom larger in determining our life, how we respond to circumstances and situations. So this is further underscored by the fact that as he describes some of the different sort of the contrast of circumstances or situations we may face he says he's been brought low that's one type of circumstance and he's experienced abundance that's another type and so in a way by using a contrast like that he's saying being brought low and being exalted in all the things that go in between that is what he's saying what is the all that he can do He can be brought low and still walk with the Lord and stay rooted and grounded and focused. And he can succeed. He can experience abundance and not come to think that he is everything. In all the circumstances he faces between being brought low and experiencing abundance, those are the things in which he knows that God provides strength to face with faithfulness. He goes on in verse 12, he's been faced with plenty, he says, and he's experienced hunger. He's had circumstances, again, of abundance and need. You see how he's telling us what he means in in verse 13 by describing it so clearly to us? He's obviously speaking about the circumstances and situations that we face in life. Well, that helps us understand the meaning of this passage. That gives us some definition to what Paul means in verse 13 then when he says all things. In the Greek, it's w- uh, the, when it says all things there uh, in, in our verse. So if you look closely at verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, if you look closely at the, the Greek, which the New Testament is translated from here into English, The thing that stands in the first place, what we call the emphatic position, is all things. It it really, Paul actually further, like he, he, in verse 13, the way that he expresses it in Greek is by saying the all things first. So that we get the sense like what Paul is really talking about is all things I can do through Christ who gives me strength. All these things I've mentioned, all these circumstances and situations, they're sort of in the emphatic position so that we would think more about that than the I can do part of the phrase. So that we get ourselves oriented to what Paul is really talking about. All things I can do in the one who strengthens me. This is a message about what you can face and still find the strength to remain grounded and rooted in. 
your calling as a servant of Christ. Listen, Paul is not peddling uh, a bunch of self-actualizing garbage here in the letter to Philippi. Paul is dealing with real life and the clear human inability to control our circumstances. We, we don't have that ability. You can't control most of the situations you're going to face in life. I think it's important that we're really honest about that. You didn't get to choose how you grew up. You didn't get to choose who raised you. You didn't get to choose the opportunities that were presented to you in life. Sure, you could go out and try to make some on your own. But you didn't choose the circumstances in which you began to grow and thrive and think and dream about the world. You couldn't anticipate most of the problems you have faced in life. Paul couldn't get himself out of prison. He couldn't keep a ship from sinking. He couldn't stop the powerful from wrongfully arresting him. He couldn't make the Jewish people like him once he started preaching the gospel. And he couldn't get to Spain where he aspired to carry the gospel. And never would get there. He couldn't make the Corinthian church reject poor leaders in favor of faithfulness. And he couldn't guarantee that all the churches would thrive. He couldn't keep Demas his close friend, from forsaking him. But what he could do was face every circumstance with the confidence that God will give strength to accomplish God's purposes through it. Now this may sound like bad news to find out how little you have control over or I have had control over in my past, in my present, in my future. But for some of you, it may set you free today. You may be so weary from trying to change your situation, disappointed from hoping something different would come, convincing, you may have been trying to convince yourself uh, that your life has been shackled to some decision of the past, and you just believe that deep down. But today, you can receive this wisdom from Paul that whatever you are looking at right now, the circumstances that you are facing give you an opportunity to know and serve Christ faithfully. A much more important purpose than any that you could have created. You know, no matter what has happened in your past, right now, today, you can face the circumstances you're facing and trust them to the Lord. And he'll give you the strength to fulfill his purpose in them. I mean, maybe you felt held back by the past. And today, you need to know, sure, that created the circumstances that you are in. But is it possible that God can redeem your circumstances in a way that would glorify Him as you surrender yourself to Him and make Him the center of what's going on? That in those circumstances that you face right now, many of which have been outside of your control or were developed before you had the wisdom to know it, that in those circumstances, even all of these things, you can face through Him who gives you strength. See, Paul saw it that way. You can turn attention to knowing Christ. Walking faithfully with Him. Trusting that God will give you the strength to honor Him in everything that you're facing. Don't worry about changing the circumstance. Worry about changing the perspective you are carrying as you face it. Which is the third thing Paul teaches us in this passage. Let's look at it. Number three. Paul is aiming at contentment rather than control. Paul is aiming at contentment rather than control. 
Paul references the idea twice in this passage of contentment. It's at the center of what he wants us to consider in this section of the text. Look with me. Verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12. I know how to be brought low. and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's learned two things. They're really the same thing. The secret of finding contentment with God in every circumstance. The word contentment in verse 11 and his reference to the secret that he's learned in verse 12 are tied together. He's talking about the same thing. He's learned something here at the core of his experiences that allow him to be, remain grounded even in really stormy circumstances, anchored when the winds blow. This is what Paul wants to help us believe we can find, we can have. So in the text, he says, by having this perspective of serving Christ in every circumstance, he's learned to be content. He knows I am to be content. He's got this sort of secret or this mystery is what it means. The way Paul specifically uses this word contentment in the text, it has the meaning of contrasting something that is within ourselves or inward rather than an external thing in our circumstances. Don't get confused about trying to figure out, like, what is the English word contentment and all that means for a second. Really what Paul is is using is a word that means self-rule. So it means, and by by self-rule, he's using it over in contrast to his mention of circumstances and situations. You see, Paul sees the circumstances and situations he's facing as external to himself and out of his control. But he sees the perspective that he owns as internal, something that he and God can work with. And so he says that, that, that through setting his focus on the right things in the Lord... And experiencing the strength that comes from that, internally he can set himself up to deal with what he's facing in a way that he can be confident that God will give him strength to accomplish God's purposes. You see, many times when we face trials and circumstances or difficulties, immediately we are sort of knocked out of control and we begin to just try to fix what's happening outside. Paul says actually what he's learned the secret to do is to begin with what's happening inside. That he would rule over that with a godly perspective. And in doing so, he would find that it sets him up to experience strength to see what he's facing in the right way. And and so he's aiming at this sort of contentment that he is talking about here. Specifically in the context, this idea of self-rule or independently ruled, separated from the circumstances. He's saying here that the key to dealing with our circumstances is not to believe that we have some great ability to control what is external, but to instead embrace that through Christ's strength we can rule over our perspective as we face whatever it is and remain rooted in God's purpose. The first order of every situation, in a sense, is to get our inward spiritual perspective set on honoring Christ, knowing Christ, communing with Christ as our greatest treasure. The first order of business is to get our hearts aligned with God and in right relationship to Him as we face it. 
Uh, you know, earlier this year, in January 12th, when Clint passed away, uh, for those who might be new, our uh, founding pastor passed away in January. Um, was one of my best friends for 20 years. I can remember waking up the, n- the next day, and there was a lot of external things to think about. And, uh, you know, in that moment, it was sort of just a flurry of, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix? <laughs> what are we going mean, you know, to, can we fix any of this? Is there anything that can be done about a situation so sad and tragic, so difficult? And, you know, when you try to map that out and like, how's this going to play out? What's it going to look like for the next couple months? What's it going to look like in the future? You just can't. You can't wrap your head around that. And I can remember waking up that morning, uh, you know, just sort of, sort of like with this massive headache and sense of fear and dread. And uh, I just had this sense from the Holy Spirit, like, sit down. And, uh, it, and you know, sitting there just began to say, Lord, there's nothing we can do about this. I don't have any idea why the circumstance came into our lives. I don't have any preparation that would have gotten me ready to experience this personally, us ready to experience that as a church, Jennifer and the kids ready to walk through this season of their life. Um, But I trust you. You know, it was just this sense, you know, I need to get with the Lord and I need to figure out what he wants to do in me. And just invite him to come into the situation and help me. You know, before I, before I can even think about how to serve other people, Lord, I need to know that you've got strength for today. And uh, just, just going, you know, that, that was one of the most powerful, uh, like, hour. And I stayed there for probably an hour and a half, maybe two. Uh, I did some journaling. I did some writing. And it was just, the one thing I wanted to do was, it was just commune with the Lord and say, Lord, I believe you've got something to teach me through this. There's something, uh, there's something that you can allow me to know about Jesus, about his suffering, about his, uh, his love for me, about your nearness, your strength, your power in the most dark moments. I, I want all of it. And I just, I don't know how to do any of this, but I want to walk with you. And, you know, I'm not often given to easily finding myself going inward. (laughs) You know, I'm, if you know me, I'm an extrovert. I'm usually out here with everybody. And, uh, but, but there was, there's something powerful about that experience of making sure that I was centered on what God wanted and not me. Because, you know, I would have gone out and, uh, and, and many of us, it's like you, you want to go out and just try to start doing. And that's the wrong kind of doing. There's a lot of things I haven't been able to do in the last five months to help the situation, to fix the situation, to remedy the things that have been lost. Some of it's just loss. Loss you have to deal with. But in the middle of loss, you find out that in every circumstance, that God gives strength for each day, that some of the things that you feared don't come to fruition, that if you live in the future that hasn't yet happened, that you'll be overwhelmed with anxiety and stress and concern. But right now, God wants to meet you where you're at. You know, maybe you're not facing that same thing, but maybe you're facing something that you walked in here today that's got you stressed out and concerned. You're not sure how to fix it. And all of these external circumstances are, are just grabbing up all of your intention. Uh, the invitation to you from the Lord today would be that you would begin here with where you're at with him. That God can draw you into a strength that maybe you forfeited for a while. Maybe you forfeited some strength by 
being out here in your circumstances and waging battle. When God wants you to come in and commune with him, he's using this moment in your life to invite you into a time of communion. And listen, it doesn't solve everything. It doesn't solve everything. Paul, uh, Paul here doesn't, uh, we're pretty sure he doesn't really get out of prison. It doesn't solve everything externally, but it actually unites you to the one who has purposes in everything. And when, when you align your heart with his purposes, you find that there is significant strength for exactly what you need. And sometimes we want strength for what we don't need and how we want it to go rather than strength for what God's called us to do and called us to be. Paul, see, he, he is aiming at a sort of contentment that grows. And what Paul says is if we begin to face all of our circumstances with that mindset of communing with God, of knowing Christ, he says that it roots us into a secret. Now, the way he uses that word secret here, it's like, it's like something that like you have an intimate connection with something. He says he has an intimate knowledge of what it's like to commune with God in every circumstance. That's what he means. And, and, and it's a cultivated knowledge. By having this idea, it's not something that you just get. It's something that you, you receive as you walk with God through every circumstance with him at the center. As long as you are warring against your circumstances and you are living sort of a self-centered or goal-centered life and not a Christ-centered life and you got the wrong purpose at the center, you're not really able to gain the wisdom that gives you the secret but Paul says in time in every circumstance through God's strength he's come to learn to be content so that he's he's, it's sort of like he's drawn this strength from God and he possesses an inward confidence for everything he's about to face I don't know about you but I want that kind of spiritual maturity I want the kind of inward confidence that is not deterred by the things that make everyone else shut down in fear. And I, I know that I don't have that myself. I know I would have never come up with a way of mustering that up in my life. But I've found that God is sufficient in all things. That his daily bread meets the needs of the days that we face. And this invitation from Paul is for you to discover that. For you to look at what circumstances you're in and say, God, what is it that you want to give to me in this? Where do I find strength? How do I walk with you through this? And the truth is, when we align our hearts and purposes to him and say, God, whatever it is, there's a sense of surrender that is necessary. A consecration that Paul has here that we need. I just want to ask you, whatever circumstances you're facing, or maybe some circumstance from your past that you just haven't really come to grips with, have you sought the Lord in your circumstances to ask, how do you want me to know you more and less? Maybe you can't change it. How do you want me to know you more in this? How can I really honor you in this? See, Paul says that's the way into the secret. <laughs> the secret of being at rest, confident in the Lord, content in every circumstances. Listen, Paul says you don't come by this sort of depth and perspective without practice and cultivation. The regular daily interaction in your heart between you and God as you face successes, which can lead us astray, 
and as you face failures, which can knock us over, as you experience abundance and lack, they train you to be anchored somewhere. Your inner life with God or lack thereof will either prepare you for the external circumstances you face or leave you subject to their rule over you. Paul says that through facing these circumstances with a desire to remain steadfast in knowing Christ as the true goal, we can be content. He has come to be closely acquainted with this secret that he can face everything through the one who gives him strength. He's clear-eyed, resolute in the face of death about what he desires, only that Christ would be honored. He is contented in knowing Christ because it is the greater satisfaction and the truest hope. And I just wondered today, here, if you're anchored in that sort of hope. In a moment, we're going to have the chance to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but maybe you came in today and you would recognize in your own life that you've lived a self-centered life. One that's centered around your goals and your desires, and there's never been a point at which you really have recognized that God has a purpose for you. That he desires you to submit your life to his purposes, to seek to know him. The Bible says that to live apart from God's purposes is to live in sin. It's not just the bad things we do. It's the, it's the ways in which we take control of our own lives and our own purpose apart from desiring to honor God. When it says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it means that we've fallen short of desiring that God would be glorified through our lives because we were created to be His image bearers. And instead we wanted our own thing. We wanted our own pursuits to, to be the things that would prevail. And we found ourselves, maybe you even, have found yourself angry at God or at odds with God because He hasn't fulfilled the desires that you have. And all along, God has been trying to get your attention so that you would realize he's got purposes. He's the creator. He's the potter. We're the clay. And today, I want you to consider that maybe for the first time in your life, you need to come to a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you need to turn from that sinful way of looking at your life and need to trust that God invites you out of a life of living for yourself into one that finds real purpose in knowing Christ. We seek to know Christ because Christ is our Redeemer. Here's what He's done for every sinner. Jesus Himself became a servant on our behalf. He was willing to center His life around serving us for God's good purposes. He died on the cross as a substitute for our sins so that we could be forgiven and be confident that God welcomes us home to discover afresh our purpose in Him. And so you may not recognize it, but God has already done what is necessary for you to be forgiven for making your own thing out of, life, out of a life that He gave you. And He invites you today to turn from that life and to put your faith in Jesus Christ and receive as a free gift the forgiveness of God and be reconciled to his purposes so that you can seek those purposes in every circumstance that you face. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if you've never experienced that, you don't need a priest or a person to take you through a ritual. Uh, God invites you to respond today by faith 
You can take the time in a moment as we pray and you can say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have lived for myself, but today I want to turn from my sin and put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be forgiven. Thank you for sending him to die for my sins and thank you that he's risen from the dead so I can know that your purposes are the real victory. Lord, bring those to life in me. Come into my life. Let's take a moment before we move through the rest of our service and just have a time to respond to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a moment. Maybe you just need to respond back to the Lord in the quietness before we head into the rest of this holiday weekend. Just say, God, I want to turn my life to you. Pray that you'd give me the strength to turn from my sin and trust in Christ, not only as Savior, but as Lord and hope in my life. Master, that I could be a servant of Christ like Paul. Maybe you're facing some circumstances in your life where you need to see those circumstances in a new light. Begin to ask what God wants to do in you first. How he can be at work in you and trust that he gives strength as you face them. That you don't have to do them on your own. That the Lord invites you into an experience of communion with him. As we walk in obedience. As you navigate those things with faithfulness to him. Lord, I pray just across this room, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that you would cause us to see our lives in the light of your word. Lord, that we'd be a people that gain a sense of what Paul calls this secret. Lord, that in the, in the quiet moments with you, we know where our strength is drawn from. Lord, that you would cause our roots to go deep in you that we would be able to say with him that all these things we can do through him who gives us strength. Lord, like a, like a people who have a, a secret of strength, we would be bold, not fearful of the future, confident about what you desire to do in us and through us.